ourselves, we've put ourselves into a world that has so much stimulation, stimuli everywhere, you know. But yet something wants harmony and calm and stillness and peace. Hey, the mic turned up. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. So just a little technical thing. This microphone, it's like you're licking the top of an ice cream. It doesn't quite go like this. It's like so. Okay, just so when you're using it. <clears throat> Welcome, everybody, and good morning. So let the body be relaxed. Let your breath slow down a little bit. Give your mind an instruction to just be content. will always be busy with something. So let it be busy with contentment. And see the body as just a body, an exquisite machine. And the mind is a piece of software in there that gives it intelligence. And that piece of software says, well, I'm this body, and these are my thoughts. But that's just a piece of software talking. It needs to run that idea so that functioning can happen. That's how we've organized ourselves as a race. So when you say, I am sitting here, really the body is sitting there. We just, we just use kind of wacky language, which is quite misleading. And there can be a sense of I in the body. A sense of like a localized perception. But that's just the functioning of your senses running information to the HQ of intelligence, the brain, the mind.
anything the mind can come up with, any idea at all, the senses, that, the information that comes through the senses, all of it is just to enable functioning, just to enable a life to be lived. It's not, it's not you. That sense of you that's inside the body is just a sense. It's not you. And that sense just comes from localized perception, just to enable functioning. That's all. It has no other purpose. But somehow it gets believed. It's extraordinary. It just gets believed. And what mind will very often want to do is replace, well, if I'm not this body, I'm not this mind, well, then what am I? And it just wants to grasp something else. Mind will try to do that. It's like, hey, you know what? You're bigger than what you can imagine. If that's what you have to tell mind, then that's okay. So there's the local viewing point, which is the body. And then there's that bigger picture where you might have seen the interconnectedness of everything. The sense of unity, maybe something penetrating everything, like love penetrating everything, or even that we all share the same air, you know? Just, just the interconnectedness on whatever level that you might have recognized that. And that mind is the thing that sees difference and sees separation. Mind runs that program. But it's just for functioning. You can reorganize that program into its place. It's just a bit of coding. So there can be a sense of the body. Mind can run all kinds of thoughts. But let that all be effortless. That'll happen without you making effort. When no effort is made, something can pull back. Something can just go to a deeper, more still place inside. from that still place inside go deeper still and expect nothing nothing at all so whatever platform or plateau that you land on deep inside and it's like oh there's a bit of peace there's a bit of peace you know reject it just like okay deeper than this deeper than this and see what happens mind will make a story out of it but an inner resonance can kick in. You don't know what you know, but it's like, this kind of makes sense, but I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. That might happen. Because your mind now is stuck. When you go beyond states of mind, 
your mind doesn't know what to do with it, so it's going to start doubting. And so at this point, I'm inviting the part of you that has a deeper knowing, but you don't know what you know. There's something else, but you're not quite sure what it is. Mind will never know, that's all right. But it's about waking up that part that's deeper, waking up that part that's got, that resonates in a way that's not intellectual, not conceptual. That's what I want to talk to. That's what I want to say, hey, hey. Let this part be awake and alive in your physical anatomy. That's the magic of realizing who you are. We could say it's like a, a resonance or like somehow there's an, an echo, an echo of something that you already know. Something familiar. Peace beyond phenomenal peace. Stillness beyond being still. Those kind of flavors are hanging about there. And it's mind's gig to start feeding the ego, to like, whoa, you don't want to go there because what about me? The energy mass that is the ego wants the show to continue. Because consciousness, creation, is always recycling, recycling, recycling. Come back into the world with this, make it better for me. How can I live in the world seeing, knowing who I really am or operating from that that deeper place that's not a state of mind. How can I make the world better? It's like, oh, the, 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 all that's happening here is that mind is claiming something that's outside of the phenomenal world and wants to bring it into the phenomenal world. And off we go again. The phenomenal world will appear as real again. So this is the pull always to, like, to, to, to reconnect what's outside of the world, to bring it into the world. As if the world is the real one, the important one. And we bring who we really are into the world. And it's like, who you really are, that's where it's at. The world will continue just fine. Life will continue. You'll still remember how to drive and to go to the supermarket and to earn a living and pay the bills. So watch today and tomorrow or for however long as you can be here. Watch any time that your mind is trying to grasp something that we've explored here to make life better. Because that's, that's what mind will try to do. That's its greatest trick. Because it's the opposite of what we're really about here. It'll want to make my life better. Let's personalize everything. Everything is about me being happy phenomenally. And actually, phenomenal happiness is a consequence of remembering who you are. Because how you view life shifts. 
Suffering doesn't happen. Life happens, but there's no immunity from things. Things happen, but, you know, they kind of just roll off you a little bit. Because it's just life. So watch when mind is saying, I want to get something out of this and, you know, I'll do it next week and um, it'll be great if I could live from that. Maybe, maybe I'll start meditating and do like 10 minutes in the morning and tap into that place and I can feel better during the day. And, oh! <laughs> That's what mind does, you know? It's just what it does. So see through it. Drop that idea. Drop that one. Drop that one. Say, hey, you know, life doesn't need to be changed at all. My identity needs to be sorted out. Am I the one living this life? Or have I forgotten what I really am? What's outside of this piece of software that's in my brain, that's in the mind? Hmm. Is it making a bit of sense? Yeah, good. Okay, so the format that we're having this weekend is if there's a question, just come on up. And if there's a few questions, just raise a hand and we'll go in a sequence and get through everything we can get through so that some understanding can come, huh? Maybe you'll remember. Sure. Uh, thanks so much for the Fly High uh, website. That's, that's been very, very helpful to mm. me. Yeah. Are you Tom? Ogden. Ogden. Oh, Ogden. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, very good. Yeah. And yeah. Um, in the bonus room this month, you talk about place your attention at the source of the next thought. And, um, yeah, I can't hear you. Okay. you got to put the top of the mic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just told her that um, in the bonus room on her website, iFly website, she talks about placing your attention at the source of the next thought, and that she says, place your attention there and keep it there. And um, last night you were talking about um, sort of placing your attention in the back of the of the, of the mind or something like that, yeah. lower, deep in the mind. And it seems like when I, when I think about, or when I kind of open myself to the idea of placing my attention at the source of the next thought, that's, that's kind of where my attention seems to go. Huh. Yeah. It goes behind. There's yeah. a sensation yeah. of going behind. Great. Does that, mm -hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. For some, when that sense is there, that, that, you've moved behind. Your perspective has gone like to the, to up and back in your head someplace here. When that happens, it's, it's physically, physiologically a rewiring is taking place. Because what you're doing is you're, you're firing new neurological pathways so that perceiving is happening from a place that is not in the dualistic subject-object default system. And it, it it's, it happens automatically. You can't say, like, well, start looking from the upper back part of your head. It's like, what are you talking about? It doesn't make any sense. But as your perspective shifts, it feels like it's at the top, the back of your head. 
Ja. Ja. Great. Thanks so much. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're yeah. very welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Arthur. Yeah. Just in case you, you haven't heard of um, that fly high, there's a, a virtual satsang community that's set up to the Jack O'Keefe website. And it works out about 50 bucks a month, but you have to come in for three months because there's a process involved. Three months or six months. And what it is, is there's a new video posted, like 10 to 15 minutes uh, every month of, of some kind of instruction, like just look at this or examine this this month. And uh, in connected with that, there's a discussion room, which is like a forum. It's like a blog. And people write about anything. And I log on most days, unless, you know, I didn't get to log on yesterday because I was driving and I was here. But most days I get to log on, sometimes twice a day, so the questions are answered. So people talk to each other. And, but it's serious seekers only. I've never had to remove a post. Never. Nothing. It's just people who are really, really serious about the work. Um, and, and people learn from each other. And, and amazing things are happening. People are really... It's like you can see pop, pop, pop. And one person says to another person... What you're describing from your perspective, that's self-realization. I mean, do you think self-realization has happened? I remember with some guy saying this to Tom about two months ago, you know, or to, to Ed, Ed Hansen. And, and Ed said, I don't know anything about that. All I can say is that all doubt has gone about who I am. You know, and so these beautiful just sharings are, are happening as people are processing through it. And so behind that main teaching post... And the blog, which is an ongoing support, it's a daily support. You can write about anything, you know, and, and somebody or myself will reply. Another member or myself will reply. And then behind that, there's also a bonus room. So if I find a little snippet of a video, I'll pop it up, uh, or loads of free audios, or anything at all, really, that we can think of. Yeah, that might be useful, that might be useful. So there's a lot of material there, you know. It's just an all-in package. So just to tell people, in case you're wondering what Abdul is speaking about. Okay, I'm back. I'm Alana. I was here last time. Yes, yes. Um, I have a practical question. Maybe uh -huh. other people have this too, but it just seems as years go on and the practice or the awareness becomes more of your moment-to-moment -moment life. Yes. I find it harder and harder to to log in to practical things. Okay. You know, at the airport or on the freeway coming here. Or, it's just, and, and even though the awareness is like you're talking about, sometimes it's a real effort. And I don't know if you have any tips for that or what you do or, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? Like the papers or, I mean, the bills get paid and the, you eat and all that, but there's so much else that's minutia that is just yes. out there. Yes, yes, yeah. <clears throat> This is part of the transition from being in a, a, a protected environment to managing the world where this, this shift is happening in your perspective. Fine if the collective consciousness is supporting the shift, but it's not like that for us. You still have to manage the freeways and lanes and functioning still has to happen. Certain wiring gets burnt out, obviously, because you lose skills that you had. What happened in my own case is... I, I've had to, and I still am, working on 
firing new neurological pathways. They don't have ownership, but there is a sense of training my mind to do things. So I find myself, for example, I've been doing this a lot this year, of like, okay, look around you and make a comment on what you see. Because nothing would be seen, because subject-object stopped. So nothing would be seen unless attention, my attention was pulled to something. So there'd be no noticing of anything. Anything. It just, just, it's like the physical forms don't actually appear. And they don't appear because it's your perception, subject-object perception, that gives things colour, shape, size and form. So, so that doesn't get created. So then what do you do? There are actually no things out there. So if you're trying to look for a sign on the motorway, the freeway, and your subject-object is switching off the dualistic perception, your ability to actually create a sign and have it show you a piece of information breaks down. You see? So you actually can pass the sign on, I never saw it, I never saw it. And of course you never saw it, because perception isn't working in a dualistic way like it used to. Because of this shift in consciousness that's going on, it's not going to be this rough in 15, 20 years. It won't be this rough. So we'll find an easier way uh, to evolve. But right now, yep, it's rough. What, what I've done is, is like, okay, there's a sign coming up and this brain is going to see a sign. I'm going to watch out for this. What I often do is visualize the sign first. So that I've prepared my brain, my perception mechanism, to actually see the sign. That's one, it's very cumbersome way around it, but I don't know any better right now. And I'm consciously doing things that are, that are difficult, like getting more involved in technology, and I find technology really, like, it's like tough. But it's like, no, I have to learn how to do this. I have to learn how to do this. And it's paid off hugely, because functioning in the world is getting easier. So you bring your attention to it. Yes. I bring my attention to it. It's like, come on, fire this. Come on, come on. You've got you to be able to, you know, drive through town with the crap that you don't know. Come on now. Come on, just wake up. So I'm bringing my attention to create subject, object. There's no ownership. But what we've done is we've, we've, we've blown the subject, object, the natural mechanism that creates subject, object. So we can't maneuver because you don't get the information like we used to. It just doesn't come up. Things are not seen. So it's a case of you've got to override that natural burnout to enable you to, to still see subject-object, but you know it's just appearing. It doesn't mean anything. It's not real. It's just appearing so that you can function better. You know, sometimes it's not safe, almost, when you're on the highway and you can't remember how you got here. Or Correct. Correct. I live in three places, three different parts of the country, and it, it, that actually helps because when I wake up in the morning, I might be on the... I don't know which side of the bed I'm getting off or where the bathroom is. That actually helps me. Somehow. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. I do, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just, it's a little, it's not frightening. It's just, it's hard to share. Yes. This. Yes, that's right. So yes. it's, it's not a lonely journey because yes. I don't feel lonely, but how can you feel lonely? Yes, how can you feel lonely? Um, yes. I'm just, I'm grateful. Yes, it's, it's disorienting. But at the moment, there's going to be another few years of it you know, of, of actually efforting to... And, and you can practice, and you can say, okay, what do I see here? Practice with making perceptions. So before you take a, 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 a ride in the car, for example, and you know, okay, this is a route I haven't taken before, 
go out to the garden or, or read the newspaper or just do something for a few minutes just to fire up that part of your brain that does information and it's being received. Just to fire that up and it gets easier. It really gets easier. Jack Cornfield's name, Jack Cornfield. Yes. He said a while back, not to me, but to someone else who was sitting beside me, he said, you're going to have to make your life simpler mm. and just keep downsizing everything. So it's just a pile of papers and a, yes. a few things in your refrigerator. He said, because you... Yes. I think that's what he meant. Yes. And the Jack character, I tried that for a long time and had a really simple life and pulled back, pulled back, and life just said, you know what? That's not your destiny. Turned it right around and ended up like, here's a relationship, there's marriage, there's immigration, and it's like, you're kidding me, you're kidding me. <laughs> you know, and I understand now, it's like, okay, because I've got to find a way of managing in the world. It, I wasn't allowed to live in an ashram. It's just like, you're getting sick, girl, and you're out of there. That's just going to fall apart. That's not your path. Lovely, if, you, if life allows you to, get, to make it really simple and scale down, beautiful. Some of us don't get away with it. Yeah, yeah. And then what to do? Thank you. This is helping a lot. Great, great. Sure. Thanks a lot. Uh, this lady. Yeah. I'm more ready today. <laughs> Good for you. You've slept on it, have you? Well, I didn't too much. <laughs> but I woke up with lots of hard stuff. Okay. Um, so I'll try to make this as succinct as possible. I'm a concert pianist, I, meaning that I was born into music and I've done it all my life. I've been paid to do it, I've given concerts and that kind of thing. So when I threw my, my bow out to some degree and moved here, um, I brought with me a seven-foot Steinway grant, mm -hmm. which is a great Yeah, beautiful piece. And then I knew that I was going to be moving in uh, with other people and I decided I, I can't bring this huge thing. Uh, but I still play, I uh, love it, that uh, brings me a lot of joy. And so I moved into a place and, and I have a small piano and I thought that that would be fun, a little, what I call a practice piano. But after a year and a half I realized that <clears throat> I love practicing, I love playing and what it does for me, it gives me great joy. So I can't, um, just uh, performing here and there for a few hours on something more wonderful is not like playing and having it feed me every day. So um, one of the people that I was living with said, uh, yeah, you deserve a, a piano. So I thought that was a green light. And so I found a piano, not a great huge one, not a great piano, but larger. And so it would feed me some more every moment that I played it. And so I bought that piano. And so when I announced that I had bought this piano, that was not a happy moment. And it was a shock, apparently, like, what? I'm going, yeah, you know, I did this. And um, a very emotional, terrible conversation ensued. And um, basically, this huge blow-up happened and, and a lot of emotion and I was accused of being a, bu a bullying, which really totally shocked me because I thought I was doing the exact opposite. I had sold 
mm. what I had spent years, you know, mm. buying up into and finally got this wonderful thing that I really loved. So I, that was really shocking. And I said, well, I've done it now. I'm sorry, I thought that this was a green light for me. And um, so the next day, it was like, I'm sorry, you might have brought it, but you're not bringing it into the house. Mm. Wow, that was like, mm. that was very difficult. Yes. And it's still difficult, it's been a couple of months. And um, I, I'm pretty much in the same place. And so I'm trying to sort out, is this, because I am attached to, you know, music, yeah. playing, is this my person, I know it obviously is my personality, if I were, you know, couldn't, couldn't play or, you know, someday my brain goes or my hands or whatever and I couldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't destroy me. I mean, I mean, I want to get totally past all of this. This is not the reason why I'm here. I, yes. I get that. And I want to get into this prior, prior, prior yes. place. But obviously this has come about at this time to face a big issue because this is a big, big part of who I am. And um, is it my attachment? Is, did it come up because I need to just stay here and use this, if you want to put it in those words, to, to blow a fuse? What, what, what is this all about? And I, this word bullying and no, is it my will, my ego against this ego? I mean, I've, I've been really looking at all of these things and what this all means and I don't know what else I can say but I really want to yeah this why I keep to learn and go on yes yeah. okay yes, yes. okay <clears throat> there's something from your childhood that's 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 coming up for clearing because when in the part of that story where you said you were talking to the person who owns the house, or the person with more power. When you were talking to this person, they gave you the green light. They said you deserved something. This tapped into something in you that made put you into the position of being the child. This person does it on the house, but it was like we're they all like we're sharing the house, and so you know it was like don't we want to harmonious house. Yes, we want a harmonious house. Okay, but somebody somebody has power because somebody gave you the green light. Your own power isn't visible here at all. Just your normal autonomy, human autonomy. There's something that operated from the child in this instead of the adult. That's what's underneath this. Because somebody said to you, this person X, X says, uh, you deserve have a piano because it's so important to you. And you there heard. is a piano in the house. Yes. This is what was so strange. Yes. I don't but a better one. No, it's not about the piano. It's yeah. not about music. This is a piece of inner child work. Because person X has been given some type of authority. Because you went ahead and got another piano when they said it's okay to do so. So instead of just going after your own needs and saying, actually, uh, for my well-being, I, I need a better piano. I'm going to get a piano. And if I have to move, I have to move. Well, what's the issue? Here, I can discuss it with them, but I need to do this. 
if you came from a position of managing your own needs in an, in, from the adult perspective, this wouldn't have happened. But when there is a power imbalance, and in some way we need the okay, the authority of somebody else in order for us to move forward, then somebody else has the authority to say, yes, your, 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 your need can be satisfied, or no, it doesn't suit me that your need is satisfied. And that's, that's the authority that a parent has, which makes you the child. In this book, this, yeah, the bullying seemed to be a very big trigger word. Yes, it's a power imbalance, you see? Because, because the child isn't the bully. It's the opposite way around. But bully and victim are the same energy. They're just the opposite sides of the same energy. So we'd have to say that you were the victim because you were told you deserve a piano. You took that as the green light. You bought the better piano to replace the one you had. And so then you were told a bully, told you were a bully, whereas actually you were playing the victim. And that's why bully hurts so much, is because you were playing the victim. Because you only moved on the better piano because you felt somebody else gave you permission to upscale your piano. Because I guess I think that uh, harmony, being considerate, being loving, being caring, you know, being nice, <laughs> uh, was what a better way to be. And that's, being being the child, being the subservient. All of that thing I just said was just being a child. Yes, because you came at it from being the child. It's like you learned how to do that as a child. You have them tied together. But if you ask any member of my family, they would not say that. I'm a pretty strong person. Okay. And uh, have done what I wanted to do against many wills. Yes. So against I my family, against my family. Okay. Marie just does whatever she wants to do. Okay. So. <laughs> okay. And do you see the flip side playing now? Oh, okay. You don't see it? I'm, I'm, it's, this is very, very new and very, um, I've never been um, considered by others or myself as a victim. Okay. And so this. So I'm why are you feeling so uncomfortable? Yeah, I, I, because I thought I was doing exactly the opposite. I was bending over backwards to do the opposite, but not feeling a victim. I actually thought this was, would be okay, because this is, I call this my, quote, practice piano. I always said that, but well, this is my practice piano. And then I'll go out and do all that, when I find out the hours that I put in every day are not, they don't, they don't feel very good. Yes, sure, sure. And so just these few times that I really get to perform, so do you know? Not enough, so mm -hmm. I, I'm trying okay, to... so so you know, doing the right thing and being nice and creating harmony. This is a child's approach because these are the rules that I have to obey by, whether it's to be spiritual or to do the right thing or for approval or it's a whole concoction of those kind of values. In some way, you have modified your behavior. You have a checklist, and you're supposed to have specific results. Harmony is supposed to come if you behave like this. That's a child's viewpoint. Do you see? This behavior will yield this result, and it yields the opposite, and your system is in shock. Do you see the child in it? I guess I do. I also 
and just because I know myself in many examples of when I've done just the opposite, just did what I pleased. Yeah, we and do that. And a lot that. of other people were like, are you kidding? And yes. it's like, yeah, Marie does that. Yes. She says what she feels, she does what she wants. Yes. And so when yes. you say that to me, it's just, that, that's, this is on so much shock. Yes. Like, really? Yes, <laughs> we often do that. We do the opposite. It's like when the pendulum it has one type of behavior for, for a while, we swing back and do the other, the opposite, to have both sides of the coin. The perpetrator becomes the perpetrated. Very often it's like this. Especially, especially on the spiritual search. It's like rags, riches. You know, I'd say there's certainly a few hands here. It's like, yep, I was very wealthy and all the money was taken from me. And I've had, yeah, I was somebody laughing. <laughs> you know, both experiences happen. Because to have the extreme of one, your system needs to know the opposite in, in order to fully see what experience is to fully let go of something. We, we have both extremes. Out in the world, not in the world. It's like this all the time. Especially for spiritual seekers. You have both e extremes of one experience. So, uh, uh, definitely step out and say, I'm doing this, and then I'm doing the opposite of going like, oh dear me, I, now I can't do this. Yes. And so, how do I... Um, What's next? How do I get past yes. this and be able to drop this? Yes. And yes, you've got to next? use discernment and find your own authority, which is not being a victim and not being a bully. Using your own authority to like know that this is what I actually need for myself, so I have to find a way to create it for myself. Not by asking somebody else's permission, can I have it? But by, if you absolutely need an upscale piano, then you have to find a way to make it work for you. So that's not being attached to my piano, to my personality. That's my another image. layer. But this, well, this that, yeah, I'm, I'd like to get to that layer. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you're avoiding the deepest one. I'm avoiding the deepest one. You are, yeah. Yeah, the deepest one is, is the, the victim bully. That's, that's deeper. That's deeper. That's deeper. Yeah, that's deeper. Yeah. So you deciding, for example, okay, I need a better practice piano. If you need it, you need it. If you really do need it, the universe will rig itself in such a way where you get it. But whether it was just a desire or a mechanism that the universe has used in order to show you something that needs to be gouged out, that's another thing. It might be just that too. Mm -hmm. And so I wait. To see which one that is. Maybe I don't really need it. Maybe that was something that just... You've got to find out. Yeah, you just go inside. Yeah. You just got to go inside. Do I really need this? For my own well-being, do I need an up to upgrade my piano? And you operate from that level of discernment. Whereas it's the child that says, you know, a better piano allows me to whatever, to fulfill myself with less hours of practice per day or whatever it is, and then somebody else saying yes or no. That's the child parent. That's the child parent. That's where it went to skew. Of course that relationship had to go belly up. So it's the opposite then, okay, it's like, well, I'm just getting a better piano, that's it. If that's motivated by desire, you're doing exactly what you want to do. Now, I wouldn't mind somebody else's perception. I wouldn't mind that too much. 
because if you need it to, if you, if it's not desire driven, you will absolutely find a way to have a better piano, to do something. If it's not desire. Yes. If it's a natural need, of course it's going to rig it. Universe will rig it to allow it for you. Of course. Well, that's the way it kind of came about. I just, yeah, it just kind of happened. And it was kind of surprising that this was there. Yeah. And then I actually bought it, and then um, was it possible at that point? I didn't think to move it in, and then the universe provided someone to actually buy it from me, who was uh, uh, just a friend. Sure. I, I was so shocked sure. that this happened. Sure. But now she can't sell this other piano, and I'm just like, are you sure you don't want this piano? So yeah. I could buy it back. Sure. And it's like, good night, why does this thing keep going round and round? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really not about the piano. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So your decision-making is dependent on the external being okay and not okay. Because you've got this value on how to do it, on how to behave, a value system on how I must be to create harmony and I need to be nice and I need to be good and that's a spiritual thing. All of those value systems have to go in the delete bin. <laughs> that's BS. That's trying to be good, trying to be nice. The child. Tell me how to behave and I'll do that. And then somebody else who lives with you said, well, there, there's the candy, you know? And you said, okay, great, I'll take the candy. Oh, no, you can't have the candy. That's what's happened, huh? Mm. So finding your own... Being able to discern, to find out what is the correct movement for you. That would be for the highest good of everybody. But this bartering to figure out what's right for you, that's the child. That's no good. That's going to cause pain all the time. So you've got to check in and see, okay, do, do I need a piano or not? And if I need the piano, then I get the piano. In my own path, you know, there were an awful lot of unpopular decisions that I had to make. And there were some people in my life who said, you just, you just, actually one sister, and she just said, you just do whatever you want to do. You do whatever you want to do, you know? And I knew and I thought, listen, girl, fuck it. There is something inside me that, that shows me which way I'm to go. I never use my head, never use my head in terms of, this is on the path now, okay? I never use my heart and say, oh yeah, that'd be the best thing, that'd be the nice thing, it'd be nice to have that, let's do that. It would never come from an assessment of what the world can offer. It would always come from, no, this is the step I have to take. Okay, no, this is the step I have to take. What's the minimum collateral? And I would check and see, okay, what's the minimum human collateral? And I did feel that I can do my best to cause the minimum amount of pain and suffering around me. But this action has to be taken. And that absolute clarity led me forward. It didn't come from, I should, this is the right thing, this is the wrong thing. None of that was happening. Decision-making comes from another place. And when you do that, you actually discover there's no free will at all. That things are moving from another place, and that shows itself to be how it is. Well, that's why I thought this was so much deeper because just to, to sell my piano to begin with was such a shock. It just dropped in on me one day. Mm -hmm. I just like, mm -hmm. sell your piano. So it's this person, she's looking for a piano. And we're yeah. like, wow, really? I mean, cause, and this happens, has happened many times. Uh -huh. and, and, and that felt great. Ah. That did it feel, why did it, great. why did it feel great? Because it wasn't my idea, it wasn't any of my, I, it was just like, so a divine so, idea is better than your own idea? Well, I don't know. Uh, is there a difference? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I don't know. It was timely. It was like, oh yeah, that's perfect. Okay. You know. Okay. And so, and then getting this other piano just seemed like that was the perfect thing to do. That would, and then, wow, here's another one. That seemed okay. to, all of those decisions just seemed to happen. Okay. But now there's other chaos because someone else is involved. No, because yeah, the child is coming. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, the child is coming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it just seemed like all those other things really just happened, and now this one is not going to just happen. This has to be. Because the child was the one making the decision to all get along. the next piano. All along, actually, yes, of course. I didn't know you could hear that, but yes. The child was there all along. Because the way that you say, look, it just came in, the divine message, it's like... It, does that have more authority? Is that, is that a parent? What, what model is that, that, that the message that just comes in must be followed because it's got a higher value than the ones you make yourself? What, what's that about? Mm -hmm. Seems like it, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You see? Because I've, I, I've had very strong ones throughout my life. Sure. That it totally changed. It's like, wow, boom, there's the idea that dropped in. It seemed like a totally divine idea that yes. really was, had quite a loud voice, almost yes. audible, like, Yes. Resign this job. It's like, are you kidding? This best job. I love this job. What do yes. you mean? And I did. Yes. I followed that yes. because I thought that was the divine message. Sure. You have to double check it inside. You have to double check it. That seems a bit tricky. <laughs> Why so? Uh, to discern uh, this personality voice from. Just another aspect of mind, you know. Both are done. Both are just aspects of the mind. Yes, of course. Of course, it's all just consciousness. It's just delivered through something else. It doesn't have ownership over it. But if the receiving machine is in the child mode, and here's this divine message which must be obeyed. If you don't double check it. Mm. But who's doing the double checking? Yeah, the human being who has to make autonomous decisions in this physical life. I'm glad I don't get messages to do mass murder. I'm really glad I don't. <laughs> I know, would you, it's pretty nice. Would you do it? I know. How would you know to not follow that voice? Yeah, because I have a pretty strong moral code. Ah, around being nice and yeah, being creating nice. harmony? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That has to go, huh? Mm. So your, your, your filter system is a moral code. Yeah. That has to go. Mm. It's total surrender. Total surrender. Is moral what code and all. Moral code and all. My good girl scout left us back. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes, it's total surrender. So it seems like it's a contradiction because there's total surrender, but yet there is an autonomous human life that the character is living. So being in the adult position, being able to assess what needs to happen next, that, that comes from discernment, not checking it against a learned system yeah, of so conditioning. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to add that word conditioning. Yeah. I, as we all do, strong conditioning, and I appreciate that conditioning. Sure. So the... Discernment. Yes, discernment. The difference between cons true discernment and yes. conditioning. And the conditioning. Uh-huh. You've been filtering through the conditioning. 
Whereas the real discernment is like, okay, okay, let's see. This, there's guidance here to do this. Let's see. Is this absolutely clean, clear? What direction is this going on? What's the knock-on effect here for what's around? And does this help me spiritually? If others see it as desire-driven, that's their perception. You know, that doesn't matter. But, but you'll have to know, no, actually, this, no, this, this is going to be the next step. No matter what way I look at it, this is going to be the next step. Just sitting still, I think. Same helps a lot. Yeah, helps a lot. Yeah. I do a lot of gnashing of teeth. <laughs> that can go out with the noble value <laughs> system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Learning to make decisions from that balanced, autonomous. It's like, it's like you've got to fine tune a part of the personality in order to let it go. But you've got to fine-tune this, just rewire it a bit so that you're not running things through the conditioning layer, but that there's an adult there making autonomous decisions. And then you'll find it's not making any decision at all, but you can't get away with doing, without doing this part. Mm. It's landing you in trouble. Mm. Is it getting a bit clearer? Yes. Great. You're very welcome, you're very welcome. Okay, this one, two, three, four. We, okay. Hi. Hello. Um, so I understand the whole character thing because I do it on many different levels with different character roles I play. But what I want to ask about is sort of the core emotional reaction that happens sort of without thinking, the automatic, oh shit moment. Yeah. Um, and for me, it comes up a lot with a programming around being on time. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it came up actually today because we were about five minutes late coming and I had to um, work with a lot of emotional suffering from self-inflicted like pain and uh, you're not good enough and all of that was coming up. And I was eventually able to sit back and kind of be okay with it. And what I found was very interesting the difference between having the judgment on myself and within my own character, but then seeing other individuals come in after us, after me, and not having judgment there. Mm. And so I'm wondering, since I'm still very new on this path, if there's something there that I can mm. work with. It's not a clear question, but I feel like there's something there. So what's, what's the consequence of being late? What's the big threat? There's a lot of threats. It's, um, it depends on the, the circumstances, but uh, respect, um, lack of identity with, I guess, being on time, being nice, um, missing 
opportunity. So it just, it depends on the circumstances, but I create different stories for each set of circumstances, but I know that there's something with being on time that's a very fundamental character trait yes. that I need to work with. Yes. Did you learn it from a parent? Many parents, relatives, family, uh, culture. Ah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Practice being lit. <laughs> I can thank my significant other for that practice, yes. <laughs> Arrange it that you're 10 minutes late for everything. From dental appointments to satsang. And see it as a practice. And say, okay, okay, I'm, I'm actually going to be 10 minutes late and that's just my little gig here. And see what comes up and say, okay, that mind says that's a lack of respect for them, then so be it. I give myself permission to have no respect. And then how do I navigate the physiological effects of the emotional stress with that? Because your mind is using your body to exacerbate the belief system around it's important to be on time. So the emotions are secondary here to the thoughts. It's the belief system that's giving rise to the emotion. So I just have to say it's okay to be 10 minutes late, but how do I then on some level not make all my times 10 minutes early? Wow, you'd, you'd dig it. I have in the past. Wow. Gosh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Mm. Do you enjoy the emotion that's created out of it? In some kind of weird way. And I think that's the piece that I need to get into is yeah. I think on some level I enjoy the, the stress the drama. Stress. Yeah. But that's the piece I would really love to look at because I know the time is the driver, but it's that lower piece of I like it. You do like it. I hate it, but I like it. That's right. I create it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, you like the emotional part. So you're using this whole story to create an emotional response so that you can get off mm -hmm. on the stress, the adrenaline. Yeah. So what's nice about that rush? How does it make you feel? I really hate to see it alive. Yeah, sure. But there's, there is like a physical thrumming yes. everywhere. Yes. Yes. I guess that's it. Yes, it, it runs, it runs a, it, it's like high impact sports or high, high risk sports. Mm -hmm. You know that buzz of just... <gasps> yeah. And when that feeling alive happens, what happens because of stress? It's as a consequence of your mind being so totally focused on the present moment because it's, there's danger, there's danger, there's adrenaline. Okay, any story will do. And so when that adrenaline is pumping, there's absolute focused attention. Because it's fight or flight. Right. You see? And it's the focused attention that gives calmness to the mind because it's not jumping all over the place. So the focused attention is ultimately what we're trying to achieve, but how do I do that without the adrenaline junkiness? Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
<laughs> so the adrenaline, you could do a little bit of googling, and the adrenaline is really bad for your body. Mm-hmm. You're actually hurting yourself yeah. to get that kick. And if you got a good bit of information about that, you'd start reading that that's that feeling in my body. You know what? I don't like it. Because the more you align with good health, the more you'd know it doesn't work. It's like when you give up coffee and you're off coffee for six months and you have a coffee and say, the smell is great, the taste is great, but man, it does awful things to my body. And it's then you feel that the shaking and the, the buzz is absolutely awful. Whereas you come, you come to love it when the addiction is running. Okay? So understanding the physiological impact from a point of view of health okay. will help a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So then the focused attention is just like right here, right now, I can just I can just be present. Now, does the feeling of aliveness can it just be here? Or is that really so important that at any cost I've got to plug that in, that feeling of being alive? Pull that apart because it's been given some kind of status, the sensation of feeling alive. Mind has interpreted it as feeling alive. Because sure, there's a pulsation, but it's just a physiological reaction. That's all it is. It's not, it's just a physiological thing. And mind has interpreted it to mean you feel alive. It's just placed an interpretation on top of it. You know? I think we need to sit with that for a bit. Yeah, there's a few different pieces. We pulled it apart to different pieces, and each one has a little gem for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe make some notes and see if you can map it out. And we can deal with each one separately. And yeah, you get out of that one. But you're dead right. It has a few different components, mm-hmm. each one having their own little hook. So just to break it down, I need to probably, from the physiological point of view, look at the health piece. Yes. From the aliveness piece, break apart the awareness from the physiological. Yes. And where that hook comes in. Yes. And then from, I think those are the two. Did I miss any? And the value system then around being on time. Okay. So it's like, be late. Be late so that you can see, okay, the lack of respect is running. It's like, that's loop to loop. I'm here. I'll get what I'm going to get. This is how it is. And just really, really, you know, uh, see those beliefs, those ideas for what they are. You know? Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to work with. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Was somebody back here, wasn't it? The guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, yourself in the green shirt. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Um, I don't know quite what I'm stepping into. But. <laughs> That's a good place to start. Yeah, I, I want to thank the pianist for starting on, on this role. Um, there's a real sense for me at this stage in life about uh, the inner child. Um, I'm, I'm supposed to be an adult now, on the way to becoming an old person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet there's this big inner child part appearing. And um, 
I remember reading a children's book to my kids where the mother would sneak in after a kid was asleep and pick him up and cradle him and say, I love you forever. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, as a teenager, you know, she had to do that after he was asleep only because he wouldn't have anything to do with it otherwise. And then eventually she's an old lady. And, um, oh, she would even go, after he got married, or a guy's own apartment, she would go put a ladder up and climb in at night after <laughs> he was asleep and do the same thing there, right? And so eventually, though, it came to be that she was infirmed and in bed, and the son would come and cradle her. Oh. You know, so that was emotional for me even yeah. then. But, you know, you can see once you have kids, that projection of time going forward about how short everything is, right? Yes. So, I just wonder, you know, I'm not the only person that's not real young in the room, I see, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you and your work, I'm just curious, you know, as we are trying to be present in our journey as we grow older now, and um, don't have the fabric of community, you know, extended family, and, you know, we're sort of growing old alone, you know, um, this inner child that's going, hey, I, I'm now present and need all this support, but yet there isn't necessarily going to be anyone there to give it. And, but that seems like a primitive pattern to need that. Yes. And uh, so I just, I guess I'm putting that out there because I, like, now, I'm now at 62 where I was an electrical engineer. I'm now a licensed body massage therapist mm -hmm. going towards the idea of doing somato-emotional kind of body work till night and needing to do it to yes. support myself. Yes. Um, and so it's a part of my journey to have that connection for myself, but then make it for others. And uh, so I just, I guess I'm sort of putting it out there for everybody to, to be aware of and to think about, about how much the inner child needs to be acknowledged and cared for as we go yes. forward in this whole process. Yes, it does until it doesn't need the help anymore. Um, once the inner child is, is, it's like that aspect of ourselves gets integrated. And, and then it's okay. Mm -hmm. then, then, then it's there. But is there still inner child work to be done? Or are you on a loop leaving space for inner child work needs my attention forever? Good question. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely, well, there's the, the question of, you know, where am I in terms of my um, memory of my childhood? Yes. You know, there's kind of some stuff at six or seven years old that I can remember, and there's, there's stuff that goes deeper, and I've always questioned whether I should do some, like, regression hypnosis or something. Yes. And then there's the, the um, intuitive that claims that my ex, or not my ex, but that my... Son and I were together in a past life where he killed me. We were swordsmen, and, okay. <laughs> and we had five miscarriages before we had him to bring him back to me in this life. And, yeah. and I'm still so I'm parenting a 15 and a 17-year-old right now at the same stage, yes. which makes it mm. a bit tricky, right? Trying to 
I just want to grow old peacefully and I'm having to deal with the inner child and, yeah. and the teenagers. <laughs> So I need to be a strong parent, adult. Yes. Yeah, but yet yes. also have this inner yes. child that's saying, "What about me?" Yes. <laughs> yes. So when when you hit on those memories of six or seven or and younger, is there an emotional charge with those? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then there's work to be done. Yeah. It's only when all the emotional charge is gone that you know that hey, okay, I, I, that's that's off the table now. Not yeah. in the bin, but it's like it integrates. Right. And you end up finding yourself playing and, and it, it's, it's just more, more part of how your system works to take care of that part of you that's still a kid. Yeah. Not locked being a kid, but just being childlike manifests. Mm -hmm. So if there is emotional charge, you know that there's, an, there's something locked there. It's worth isolating those incidences and go in and get them mm -hmm. held, nurtured, healed. Yeah. Because the way you're doing it, 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 it that's exhausting. That's exhausting. Kind of carrying the inner child on your back, but not actually resolving it. Inner child work is task specific. And and you know then because you're you know when it's done because you find yourself seeing that this is a game. That there's play in all of it. Mm -hmm. Do you know? And you thought, God, that's strange that that kicked into my personality. And it's because the other child is done. Yeah. Okay. Go after. Go mm -hmm. after those chunks, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it's one piece that's yeah. been neglected a bit. I've, you know, yeah. pursued a bunch of other yeah. aspects. And it's kind of the yeah. five books of Alice Miller are still sitting there. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Waiting yeah. to actually be read. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of really good, even more contemporary stuff now. That's really, really good. Mm. Yeah, that'll help you and get support too, because there's something, there's something in inner child work that's that's really useful, because when we're very young, um, uh, the so after we're born, if we're held a lot by a, by the significant carer, um we align our nervous system to find out that the world is safe. Mm -hmm. If we're not held a lot, we grow up believing that it's not safe. Mm -hmm. And that can only happen by being in close proximity, less than 20 in inches from, from the parents. So it means being up on somebody's arms or up right. on somebody's lap. Right. And if that didn't happen under the age of like one and a half, it's kind of that early, we end up having a fight or flight because the world isn't safe. That belief mm -hmm. is there, the world isn't safe. Yeah. You see, and then, oh man, then... There, it's kind of tough. Yeah. I mean, I'm here today because my aunt and grandparents were there once I was, you know, five or six to, yes. those, you know, before I was, up to I was a teenager. Okay. Some great warm memories there. And before um, five or six? Well, the, you know, then you're, you know, you're in your crib and you're in your, on, you know, falling off the changing table is the one thing I've, I was told about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, and, and my aunt was there as an observer, but, you know, was not playing the role of the mother yes. at that time. Yes. Yeah, yes. so, um, so how does that, that, because I've read how, like what you just said, it's really hard to heal that first 18 month bond. If, if you're with somebody, 
who can who sends that loving holding energy mm-hmm. your that that meeting of the nervous system that makes the world go from unsafe to safe that can happen yeah. you can't get that from a book because it's literally through human contact that's, right. that's the only way our systems can do it right now we're still primitive enough to yeah it, it tried to do that through um you know um boyfriend girlfriend or male female relationships that that really puts a real puts a pressure on the complication into particularly when you're drawn to other women that have the same kind of issues yeah rather than <laughs> rather than somebody who'll heal you you know we, yeah. yeah two needy people oof yeah yeah so, you know, what, what are the right descriptors to put into OkCupid or Match.com <laughs> <laughs> nurturing uh, yes, 60-year-old yes. wanted? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you know, you can pay somebody for it, <laughs> you know, just to, just to hold the space, yeah. you know, somebody who's really... But actually, I've gotten, you know, I had, I, as a part of getting trained as a body worker, I actually uh-huh. paid for 35 hours of body work from a really profoundly gifted healer Very good. that yeah. has transformed me to where I'm at yes, so far. Yes. So yes. maybe it's just a matter of continuing down that path some. Maybe or even somebody who just specifically does inner child work, mm-hmm. who's very loving and holds that safe space. Mm-hmm. So that your system can 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 just absorb the loving and the safety that it need to needed to. Mm-hmm. Seems kind of you know be sitting here as a grown man. Don't mind any of that. <laughs> Don't mind any of that. Right. You, you know where the need is and that's what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. You know? You know, give yourself some credit. Because of any culture, US men are under huge pressure to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. I found it stronger here than any place else. Right. Yeah. You know, I like satsang in Poland and men were talking about their relationship to their sons and loving their sons and affection of their sons and it's like it was fantastic. I'm just able to talk about their emotions as though they were women chatting over a cup of coffee. You know, we can talk about our emotions, no problem, you know, yeah. forever. <laughs> and it's just like other cultures are so freed up around their feminine. But here, men are not supposed to have a feminine side. It's like, like so, it's really tough for guys here. It's really tough. So give yourself some space, you know, because you're, you're, you're up for it. You're talking about it and you're going after it, you know. Like your culture doesn't support it. You're supposed to be all out there and a fighter and a, and and type A. And it's like, what, what, what happened being human? You know. So so you, you're doing fine. You know, American men need models like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very useful to, to talk about this. Yeah, good. You know. All right, thanks. Sure, sure. You're welcome. just that, that awareness is all out here and sometimes it happens like when I look in the mirror I remind myself like you're Jackie you're in this body like this is your uh, collection of energy uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if that's mind kind of trying to orient itself or if it's like blocking the spaciousness. I don't know, it's just something I wanted to. Do you feel ungrounded? 
Are you talking from an ungrounded, trying to be grounded space, or is there something else going on? It feels like maybe that might be it when it happens, or like a depersonalization, or a yeah. It's like a, a disconnect, and you're trying to find a reconnect. Is it like this? Or just talk a little bit more and get a better sense. Um, it just feels like the result of boundary, boundarylessness. Yes. And do you lose something of the Jackie character when there's boundarylessness? Yeah, she's... Um, I'm just being, and there's no like awareness of self. Everything's just uh, happening. Yeah. But then it's almost like when I come back and realize it's like, oh yeah, like this is me. But a lot of times I'm operating without any idea of that. Yeah, yeah, something has switched off. <laughs> is it safe for you to be here? And is it safe for you to be on the planet? Think so. You think so? It like when you say that, I want to say yes, but it feels like there might be something that feels like no. Tell me more about that something that feels like no. Just being in a body has always felt foreign to me. Yes. And relating and just the information and the energy, like it's overwhelming. Yes. Yes. The transcendent space is easy and more natural to me. Yes. Yes. Yeah, your energy is more familiar with working in other dimensions and but, but it's here now. Yeah. It doesn't really seem like a problem. It's just something that kind of yeah. happens. Like I remind myself that that's who I'm like working with now. Like this is what I look like. Yes. This is the name that people are call me by to like remind myself. Yes. That. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What's your relationship with your body like? Do you know it? I I definitely know it at times, but I know I like caffeine, and that's like it kind of takes me out of it. Yeah. And when I have less of that, I'm very much more in it. Yeah. kind of obvious, no? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there are things that bring you up and there's things that will help you. Dancing will help you to, to be here. Just being in the body, walking, putting your feet into the water, walking along the shore. Anything to pull your energy down. Um, it, it would be worth doing it. It would be worth doing it, just hitting the caffeine and doing things that bring you more into the body. Um, it will make it just easier. Yeah. It will make it be, because because to be here, 
being in the physical human form is the densest. This is the 3D realm, you know? Well, really, it's 2D, but anyway. Um, <laughs> being in this realm, this is where seeing, of, seeing the truth is most, uh, uh, has the highest, uh, uh, what's the phrase? What, what am I looking for? Your chance to see the truth, yeah, is, has most potential here in this realm. So, so if seeing the truth is really of interest to you, then to come into the body is necessary. Because funnily enough, in the body, the resonance of what you really are, it, it, it has a, 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 it's picked up somewhere in this organism. The resonance of what you really are. Truth can be seen when you're in the body. It's bizarre. It's like this complete paradox. So in order to see the truth, some, you have to be totally in the body and completely present with this in order to see that you're not this. Whereas some of you know, you, you know you're not the body, but you think you're the spirit. Your identification is more with the spirit, in an energy form, the chakra system, whatever tradition you come to understand, like as I'm not in the body. Well, what's the I that's not in the body? So to discover what that I is, that sense of yourself, the fastest way to see that you're not that either is by aligning with the body and from there recognizing that you're not the body. Whereas at the minute you're looking at two things, you're the energy system, clearly your identification is with there, and then it uses the vehicle of the body. But to see the truth, you've got to be in the body. I've just, I feel like I've seen the truth, but there's like a, maybe the most resistance on the body yeah, because it's not complete. They say stabilized and established, embodied. So the process isn't complete until it's in every cell. Yeah. In every cell. And that can be tough because this, the body is the densest part. It's really dense. That's where the real work is. And the embodiment is the, that's the key of it, really. The other thing is, isn't sustainable, you know? It's not sustainable to, like, see the truth, but to be outside the body, the part you that knows the truth is outside the body, it's like, eh, eh. this has to be thorough. Yeah. So it's a great spiritual practice to practice embodiment by being in the body and shifting whatever it is, the attraction to being out of the body, the attraction to caffeine, to just going out to like, <gasps> to home. It's like actually in the body has to be home just as well as outside the body. So what is it in the body that tells you it's not home or it's not comfortable anymore? Mm. It's kind of hard for me to get there now. Yeah. Maybe because I just had some tea. Yeah. But, um... I guess it is just... Maybe it is like belonging. Being in the body, interacting, and um, I don't know. An another piece that comes up has to do with desire. I feel like there isn't a lot of desire that goes on, but I'm responsive to other people's desires, even if they're not spoken. And I mean, of course, if I'm not interested, I won't go there, but it feels like a lot of my movements are 
in tune with kind of like I'm granting people's wishes, like that's my existence or... Mm. Yeah, that will need to change at some point because with discernment again, with discernment, the seeing that uh, granting other people's wishes can lead them into hell or can lead them into heaven. And so a discernment inside would be able to inform you of whether or not granting their desire or ignoring their desire is, is, is for the higher good. also like service related. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, service makes sense to you. It totally makes sense to you. And but refining the service. Mm -hmm. That will come in once there's more embodiment, refining the service to actually allow your life to be directed by service, but with discernment. You know? Yeah. I guess just in terms of job and physicality uh -huh. there's no like motivation for that unless it comes and then when it comes i move along that vein yes but when it's not there i'm just kind of with whatever's here yes yes coming into the body more is the first step really isn't it yeah. just lose the caffeine just give yourself two weeks to come off caffeine. Two weeks is, it, it's a good detox period for caffeine. And then you've got a deadline. It's like, okay, from the 15th of November, that's the end of it. That'll be a good starting point. Yeah. And whatever is uncomfortable about being in the body. Service can happen once, and, and service will help embodiment, but there's a few things you've got to do first about saying, well, what's not okay about the body? So then you'll find out what's the part that's resisting uh, embodiment. What's still held in the body that's actually not aligned with, with what is known to be the truth? There was a time when I was off caffeine completely and I felt very in my body and clear. Yeah. But, um, and maybe this is just caffeine or maybe there's some thought process that goes along with it, but I find oftentimes around people I get drained, like with the density of the energy Yeah, because your boundary isn't established because you're not in the body enough. So then the, you'd be quite porous, you know. That's, that, that's a characteristic of what you're describing. Yeah, it's kind of a classic, really. You're describing yeah. a classic, you know, of, of just embodiment hasn't happened, you know. It's okay. It's, just, it's okay. It makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Uh, oh, do So, um, <coughs> yeah, I just wanted to get some more pointers on... Um, you, you might. Sorry. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, more about action coming from a different place. Aha. Um, because... For me, trust comes easily. Trust. Comes easily. Mm -hmm. That's seen. But also, seen, I was just noticing that doubt also comes equally. <laughs> Mm. Uh, sometimes, there's thinking mind which is strong sometimes and 
when some action needs to happen, I don't know where, which place it's coming from. There's usually a lot you, of... You don't know, is it? It's not clear. Mm. It's not clear. And, um, yeah, it's more like, how do I uh, listen to that inner voice? Or uh, something, yeah, just some pointers towards that. Uh, what would... And I know that when I say how and what and everything, it's coming from the mind asking this question. But uh, uh, yeah, it's more like does the mind need to recognize that this is this uh, this is this voice is telling me something, or what is it that recognizes that voice and action happens? That's more. I don't know if I'm clear. I'm not sure if I have you. Tell me about that voice. For example, I need to make a decision on something. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's oh, there are two viewpoints. Oh, if I do this, this happens. If I don't do this, there are both options available. Okay. And uh, so I'm not trying. I'm trying to see. What uh, it's more like? How do I listen to that inner voice? That's that's basically all. I'm but your head, your you, your head thinks it has to make the decision, does it? That's not clear. Yeah, that's. It seems like the attention is in the head. Uh huh. And Yeah, so I think I have a tough time with seeing what is happening naturally and mm. what is coming from conditioned thought. Mm. That's, mm. I still have, it's, the discernment is not there, you know, yes. clear. Okay, okay. Huh. So tell me about the doubting. Okay, I'll give you a specific example. Yes. <laughs> so, Make it easier. Yeah. So um, I wanted to come see you here, and there was some uh, thing that said, "Oh, I should be at home to take care of things at home and that." There was a conflict for a while, and I said, "Okay, I just threw in this question. Let's see what should I do." Yes. And, uh, I didn't come, at least I didn't try to answer that with my mind. I just let it float and see what happens. Okay. And I don't know, I finally I ended up coming here. Okay. <laughs> That's, but um, I don't know if I got the answer in my mind, but this <coughs> is what happened. Okay. And just wanted to check in uh, whether it's following the natural flow um, or whether it's... Yeah. It's like, huh, um, mind didn't make a decision uh -huh. one way or the other. Okay. It's, it's more like this action happened. Yes, okay, okay. So at the outset, if we give authority to the mind, if we bring a decision into our mind, and sometimes you have to, you know, am I going to get the car serviced on Saturday or on a week or Tuesday? I mean, that's, a, you know, it's practical, okay. 
But on other things, like what you're talking about, where there is that debate of the natural order and mind getting involved, if we bring a decision mechanism into the mind and give mind permission to make the decision early on, it's very hard to backtrack. Mind will take control and say, well, I have to decide, I have to decide. And to drop that, it's like mind is like chewing on it and chewing on it. So it's exhausting. So once you give the power to the mind, the decision to the mind, man, getting out of there is, it's near impossible. So the thing is, when a decision needs to be made, it's like, okay, decision needs to be made. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. The moment that mind is involved, then then let mind make the decision. You know, if mind is in there and it's like, let's weigh it up and weigh it up and I should be doing this and I should be doing that. Okay. All right. Let's just cruise around flights and let's see if, if this feels okay or doesn't feel okay. Because, because the sense of, of the movement of... Uh, the movement towards a decision being made from another place that's not your mind, it has more of an emotional thing, like a feeling. We use another sense other than... Is it more like a vibrational? It is, yeah. For some it's a vibrational thing, or for some it's like, you know, my, my stomach feels clear, it's like, it's like it doesn't come from your head, it comes from your belly. Mm-hmm. There's a direction, a different direction where it comes from. Do you know what I used to do one time when I was learning this? This is the skill that, the, the trick that I learned. And I just, I don't know how I learned it, but I did. Where I got it. I picked it up myself somewhere. When I was like, okay, I'm going to have to make a decision about that. All right. I'm going to go into my gut with it. Because I knew, I copped that. When I, if my head is to make this decision, forget it. I mean, I'd just be forever. Will I make the right one? Is it the right one? And all this analysis goes on forever. And it leads nowhere. Because then that's just, what, what you've decided is going to happen and but try to stop thinking about it, it's tough. So what I used to do was there's a decision to be made. Okay, I'm going to Satsang in San Diego. All right, or in Carlsbad, Carlsbad. All right, and I would say, okay, I'm going there. I'm sitting there right now. And I'd visualize it and then I'd breathe. And I would assess to see if my breath was clear or not. Okay. And my breath would be slow and deep if it was was aligned with my destiny. And if it was like, okay, I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in uh, Boston satsang instead, and my breath would go, literally, there would be, there would be something uneven in the breath. Okay. So there, that trick works, and I used that, and that somehow got me out of my head and into my body to be able to feel where this, what's the sense around this, what's the sense of what action is going to happen here. And so it trained my mind to listen to a direction which was coming someplace, from someplace else, instead of my mind trying to drive the ship. That's useful. That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah, I had to, you, have, you have to wake up that other part of you that knows it, but at the moment, you're, you're right, you're not able to sense it. Where the, when the action comes from another place, you're not able to sense it. But it's about bringing the HQ of decision-making in, into your torso. Yeah. No, that's what you suggest is very concrete. Okay. More, I, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I feel things here in my heart and uh, belly, not so much. I don't know why. It's more, yeah. Yeah. But anything below the head seems, from what you're saying, is. <coughs> as long as it's in your torso, below your neck, anything down there will, will ignite that other. The, the thing that moves your form. Yeah. 
Ja. Ja, <coughs> yeah, that's, that's been one of the big things, uh, okay. figuring this out, because <coughs> mostly everything else looks, everything, uh, there seems to be uh, ease with things, mm. and uh, there's not, there's not such a strong hold on any position, at least. Um, maybe more recently I found that at work and <coughs> more of an identity being formed, but that's one thing I need to work at. And, and being at work, a role is being played. You know, if an identity is needed there, if you need to be in authority or decision making <coughs> or present yourself in a specific way, it's just a role. It's like you put on the hat of, of being the professional. And you go to work on Monday morning, and you—it's just a role being played. Right. There's no need to identify with that personality, that persona. Whereas the ego will say, "Whoa, this is me!" And God, a position of power. I'm getting someplace, and look at my career. Okay, now we're into this stinky business. Now ego is making it a whole other package, and suffering will come because it's inevitable. But let the role be played. If the role needs to flourish and to be out there doing something, that's fine. Just know it's not you. Mm. And it's a good—it's a good lesson in detachment of allowing the personality to do its thing and to have it stay. But your identity isn't wrapped up in it. Do you think you can make that distinction? Yeah, um, lately I've noticed, before it used to be like, I used to get so worked up, caught up, and even if I had to go make a presentation, oh, I felt like, oh, I would feel very self-conscious towards the end of it. Okay, so I would feel very self-conscious towards it. But um, there's some distance now, but it needs to be cleaned. It's not clean yes. yet. Yes, not clean yet. Yes, yes. And then if you're making a presentation, the body needs a little bit of adrenaline in order to focus attention, you know, to bring you to that single point of, point of focused attention. But if there's a lot of adrenaline, you know it's like, whoa, my image is involved here, my status, I'm under threat, I can be judged. That's the ego business. So a little bit of adrenaline is, is, is healthy. You know who, who had a funny thing about this? And it always and it still kind of puzzles me a bit. Um, Krishnamurti? No, the other guy, Jerry Krishnamurti, yeah. When he used to, um, you know, at the height of his career, if we can call this work a career, um, he, he, when he was speaking to huge crowds, he had with him a therapist who would calm him down because his anxiety attacks were so strong. And it's always been, it doesn't quite sit with me, you know? It's like something, something gritty about that. You know, what, and what is that level between the natural, your body trying to pump a little bit of adrenaline so that your mind is focused, so that you can offer what it is you have to offer, versus total anxiety whereby you actually need professional intervention to, to bring you back. Mm. It's like, so it's an interesting one. It's like the jury is out, but mm, mm. there's something a bit funny about it because that line becomes very clear. Yeah. There's a very clear line there for your ego is, is under threat, you know? Something, it's my feeling is that something was still in his character that, that was invested in the persona that he had created. You know, something was still invested there. It, it was. And I know also that he, um, he, there was a disciple of his who used to also straddle into the world of Yuji Krishnamurti. 
And when that person, that guy would come back, uh, uh, Jenny Krishnamurti would, would, would say, what, what's that guy talking about? What's that guy in Bangalore talking about now? And it's like, well, would you be interested in what another satsang teacher was talking about? What? What's that? Do you know? I mean, what? You know, so it's like there was just some little kink there of, of self-doubt that was still running. Mm. Of just checking to see if his vision was clear, if his knowing was clear. You know, benchmarking himself against Yuji Krishnamurti, you know. So it's like, just to get that line really clear, it's important. Because if somebody who could speak so eloquently about that, which is beyond all, still had it, then it's a tricky one, huh? then it's a tricky one. So it's worth refining that to know, okay, this is adrenaline because it's natural and it's, it's a mechanism to focus the mind. This is adrenaline because there's self-image at threat and I feel judged that there is separation running here. There is me and there's the group. And when there's separation running, you know you're in an ego land. You know, it's like, okay, I think I'm a body now. I think I'm, this is real. This is, this is a game that I'm falling for. So every time you recognize that you pull back. Yeah. 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 It's like, really? Am I really this body? Am I really this person? You know? And, and of course, if you investigate, you'll find you're not. You know, who am I? Who's the one here giving this presentation? Who is this? And if you try and find yourself? Have a look. You won't find yourself at all. you just find a label and you'll know you're not that, you know? You'll know you're not that. Yeah, you're uh, talking about play and this labeling mechanism mm -hmm. being at play, and mm -hmm. then you see you take objects as real, yes. and then take the subject as. Then you take the subject as real. So that was very helpful, and yeah. that whole uh, sequence of. Yes. So I'm playing with that. Good. To see that. Good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, basically, at, so you're saying at work, just have the least. I mean, some attention is required, yes. but not for as. And when you recognize something as ego play, then yes, link back from that. Yes, and so okay, observe this game, and now prior to that, you know, so that's the personality getting caught. Something is imagining that 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 I am this person. It's like no, actually, nothing is happening to what I am. I'm outside of all of this. This. Is, Let's let the personality play for what it is. And there's no attachment, there's no stickiness. And the first thing you said was uh, with the breath, uh, mm. to, if, it, if it's calm and uh, steady, yes. Yes. that would be like an indication of... Absolutely, something is in harmony with, with, with the destiny of the body-mind. There's an alignment. Yeah, And it really does awaken some ability to... To, he to hear a decision being made from a part that's not mental. Yeah. yeah these were the two main things for me. Okay. That so got some feedback on that. Yeah. And let's see how it sits, you know, and come up again if, you know. Okay. See how this is, if there's something in myself. See how it cooks. Thank you very much. Just to, just to fill you in on something that Deepak just brought up there. Um, in the morning, when you wake up, a labelling mechanism begins. Some people might have a bit of space when they wake up first thing in the morning and there's just nothing going on until you go, oh, I'm supposed to be such and such a place and, and the show starts. 
All right, but but for for many there is this little chink, a little chink of a space before the show starts. This is really useful. If you can let that chink of space expand a little bit, that's a nice way to uh, to to show the body mind how to function without being all caught up in all about me being the story, the center of my day. Okay. Now, in addition to that. How the movie begins, how the I story begins in the morning, is that there's a labeling mechanism. So you, you, look, at, you look at the clock and you register what time it is, or whatever is going on. But the mind, how, how identity is created, it's not that I am there and I see the clock. The first move is, is that objects are recognized to be objects. So labeling begins, the time, the weather, naming the day of the week, whatever is going on. But the mind labels. Step two is because objects are named, the subject appears. You are not there when the first bit of labeling starts in the morning. It's worth playing with that. You're not there. It's the object, that it's object creates the subject when you wake up in the morning. So when you, when you name things, there's a reference point for the personal eye. And you rise up there, and you've got the subject then. So the object creates the subject. Because we imagine, no, I'm there all the time, and the, I woke up, and then I saw the clock, and it's like, actually, we like to think it's like that, but that's not actually how it happens. So it's an interesting thing to play with, you know? If you wake up slowly especially, if it doesn't like crank in immediately, and you don't have that space. It's an interesting thing to see, it's like, Looking around and then, ah, oh, and then there's me. There's a sequence. So what can happen is that the parts of the day can, can be recognized, the room is recognized, something looks familiar, and the eye doesn't arise at all. The fictitious eye just isn't there at all. And functioning happens and the body gets up and does its thing. You know? Anyway. Okay. Um, there's a lot of changes going on and I just wanted to say them out loud. And Great. So decisions have changed. And yeah, there's a learning to fall back into them. And yeah, so that's changed. You mean how decisions are made? Or? Yeah. Yeah, okay. What you said at um, Sands was was um, very, for me, all the realms is not much of a veil. And I hang out with dead people as much as alive people. Yeah. And also the earth. I mean, I live in Australia, and often, you know, the earth will, there's all kinds of communication and stuff yes. happening. Yes. And sometimes not necessarily good or yes. nice or yes. different than I think it will be. Um, very different. Like, I brought a bunch of students into a cave because it was a healing cave, thinking we would get a healing, and the cave hit us up for a healing, so it was like very different than I thought it would be. So a lot of that, but and I'm learning a lot in being with that. There's not a lot of way to talk about it, and a lot of spiritual teachers don't like you ever to mention it, so it's like you can't, this whole thing's happening in my life, and I never can talk about it unless I'm teaching it or something. And then at night, 
I'm neutral around it, it's fine, but there's a lot of energy at night. It's not like an, um, a non-energy time. Like sometimes my whole body's just buzzing at night. <laughs> like lay there, I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. So, can you say something about all of that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's real clarity. But, and I used to worry about that because I worried if my feelings were going away because it was just real clarity. And yeah. It's not from a personal place, so there's not that kind of feelings. And, and I, that's okay, I'm used to that. Yes. It doesn't mean I'm terrible, cold, or anything. It's just not personal. Yes. You can turn down the volume, you know. Of the which one? Of, of the other dimensions. Uh, so that they don't have as much access to you. Ah. How would that feel? Would you feel that you were being disloyal or not serving or what resistance would that come up against? Yeah. Like like I was teaching a course when the tsunami happened and I didn't know that the tsunami happened and I guess I've taught my students just to be open to the field no matter what I'm doing. And one of them says, wow, the room's really crowded. Another one goes, geez, it's chaotic in here. So then I stopped teaching. And it was like all these people in the room that had just died. Uh-huh. And that was okay, we worked with that. Yeah. And, but it felt good being able to work with that. Yeah. And so I wouldn't want it not to be able to be helpful in that way. Okay. Because I know how to be helpful in that way. Okay. So I guess that's okay. I guess I don't like never talking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like never talking about food or something. Sure. <laughs> sure. No, it's fine. It's fine because I'm, I'm familiar with that yeah. world, you know, those worlds um, that are like here as well. They're not some places, they're yeah, here, yeah. you know? Yeah. But th- there will come a time. When, when, when not being as accessible by the other dimensions would be appropriate for you. Just to say no? Yes. Wow. Uh-huh. It seems a bit cold. Does it? It might be just taking care of yourself a little bit more rather than being available 24-7. Because your system is available 24-7 to other realms who never needs you. And you'll always find, you know, uh, takers that will come in through that open door. But it mightn't actually be for your own highest good. That's a new concept. Yeah. So it'd be like just closing it down or shutting it off? If you can if you can close it down at times, that would be fantastic. Some can't do it, they have to shut it down totally and then and then after it's shut down for a while, you're kind of in charge of opening it and shutting it down. It's very difficult when it's been wired to be open to go directly to shutting it down sometimes. Some can do it. Just feeling into how that would 
feel. Yes. Like living like that. Living like that. Like a 14-year-old girl that died, came and... Would I, in the beginning, just say no? She'll find somebody else. No, find somebody else. Yes, she will find another way. And what about the earth? Same? You think you're the only one that's helping the earth? <laughs> <laughs> when I talk to the elder, you know, the Aboriginal elders sometimes, you know, and I say, this happens to me, and they say, yeah, this happens to me. Yeah. So I just guess I thought it was a way of being, not that I could say no. Uh-huh. You can. Because if you shut it down, you'll find out if there was attachment to it. If your identity is wrapped up in being the healer, you'll find out things that, that are hiding behind this way of being. Mm. But you won't be able to see them as long as you're... As you're so available. Mm. Mm. That's worth figuring out. Mm. What's hiding behind this, this level of service. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That's good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it changes, it makes me spend a lot of time alone, and I think that would change a lot. Yes, it would. It would. Yeah. The other dimensions will find other ways of, of finding their healing. Of course they will. There's a myriad of ways of getting things organized and consciousness. We're all dispensable, you know? We're all dispensable. Mm -hmm. And there's a freedom in, freedom in that. And being dispensable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> Gosh, your face is different. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like um You're exhausted from it, aren't you? Yeah. It's like getting a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> May the rest of your life be a vacation. <laughs> Mm. And I can do what I want, like if somebody I love is dying, I can help them. Yes. Yes, on your terms, not theirs. Like if they're terrified and I love them. Yes. That's their terms? Uh, how do I know who's terms? When it suits you to go as far as you want, to go as far as, feel right, as feels right for you. I'll help you this much, but not, not anymore. If that's what feels right in your gut, then that would be for the highest outcome of the other person also. Not as much as they need it. Correct. Even if they need it, say, I don't want to help you anymore. Even if you they need will it, learn. and I can see that you need it. If you're honoring yourself by limiting your service, if that does come from a place of absolute clarity and inner direction, then for sure the limited help that the person in need will receive will be for the her highest good also. Wow. 
So you need it, I see you need it, that's clear. And I'll only do this much. If, if that's what arises, it's like, no, I'll be overextending myself to go beyond this line, so that's what I gave and that's it. And then you walk. It's very un-Catholic. <laughs> Well, you know, what am I really? 
But while all these other energies are pulling off you, you can't do that. You can't really, you know, because it's shouting too loud. The volume is very high. Mm. It's kind of like telling the starving kid, you know, no, not now. And sometimes you might say, well, there's a soup kitchen just around the corner, or no, not now, and you never know, but the next person who comes along has the right thing to give the, the child. You know? Okay. The better thing, the most appropriate thing. So it's not about the need? No. The decision is not about the need? No. No. I had it backwards. Yes, you did. Yes. Mm. Because that's, that's the propaganda in, in the Catholic Church for sure, you know? About being selfless. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yeah. And then the lady in green. It's tricky, isn't it? You know how, how, how mind can play and set up all these scenarios to keep us running something that we really, really think is real and for us and the right thing and the way to go. And it's like, it's just, it's just software. It's just software. That's all it is. There's freedom. And for most of us, it's very important to feel phenomenal freedom where the conditioning isn't in charge before, for absolute freedom. It's like getting off the merry-go-round. Getting off the merry-go-round, exactly. And feeling that spiritual freedom, phenomenal freedom, of where like, gosh, it's, it's loose, it's loose. From there, it's a very good platform to go prior to all of it. But for most of us, that needs to be experienced, that f sense of freedom in the world. Let yourself have that. Let the personality have that freedom in the world. You know? Okay. I've got too much freedom at the time. <laughs> Actually, I have to say very growing, so I think there's a bunch of us recovering Catholics who do something with that advice. I've been really... Tell me what to do, Jack. <laughs> I've given up. I, I spent I spent eight months pretty much in seclusion. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking that I could kind of back myself into some awakening experience. Yeah. And what I got good at is being very good at being alone. And I had my routine. And after about eight months I realized it's, you know, I could be like a farmer just spending the whole my whole life out here and nothing's gonna happen. Yes. So what do I do? I mean I I really felt like I was putting myself in a situation where there's no distractions. Uh-huh. There's uh -huh. no nothing to just just me. And I just found a way to manipulate that situation and nothing happened. Yes. I mean stuff happened, but sure. I'm not you. <laughs> sure. Well, not that I not that your path is different now that yeah, I have stuff. But I, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I still feel uh, like I'm just trying to do I'm just trying to do things. Okay. Okay. And I know that's not going to get me there. So I've, I've kind of given up, but I really haven't. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't know what else to do in the morning if I have given up. So. All right. So let's play with totally giving up. What would that look like? If I was younger, I'd probably say a big party, but that's not even, that's not interesting to me at this point. So I'm not really 
flippantly I'd say that, but that's, that doesn't last long. I don't know, I kind of put my eggs in this basket, so I, I don't know. I don't know what giving up would, I don't know what to do. Okay, okay. What turns on identification with the Joyce woman? Uh, I used to think it was when there was other people around me, and I had a role to play. I was the boss, I was the mom, I was this and that. But the Joyce was very much alive out there in the ranch by myself. Yeah, that was And then the Joyce was like, I thought about food all the time. <laughs> Exercise was a big, you know, it was just, it was just a whole other discipline only I was by myself. Rather than, you know, lightning striking. Yes. And so are there spaces with no identification with Joyce? When I'm sleeping? No, there's times there when I'm driving. Mm. Uh, I mean, I spent a lot, long time in campgrounds where I was okay. I, I, I guess I feel, I'm giving you the negative, but I do feel much stronger that I can be by myself. And you're talking from a completely different place to like two years ago or whenever you were still oh, yeah. in the workforce. Yeah, you're really... Really? There's a maturity about you that's like big wow. Yeah, that's a huge maturity. Yeah. Oh good, I see it. I look at the... You the can't see it. Oh yeah, it's huge, huge maturing has happened, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh good. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm hopeful and I can go. Let's do it again. <laughs> well, no, let's see what would work best. Okay. Is there... Is there um, an idea of what it would look like if the truth was seen? And established, you know? In some strange way, what that woman was talking about, she was out of her body and the caffeine and all, I would love to get there. But you told her that wasn't it. But that's kind of what I think I, I want to not be so mind-driven and in my body, I'd like to be out and depersonalized. Mm. So now I'm, I'm actually kind of confused from that. So that's, that actually is part of what I... Okay. I mean, I know your story and that's not it, but that's, that yeah. would be a comfort. That'd be a different place for me. Okay. And very much in my, my mind. Okay. Okay. And so does it work for you to just step back and observe the mind? And can you hang out there? I'm trying to do that all the time, yeah. and sometimes better than others. Okay. But I'm getting better at it. Okay. Uh, is it just for seconds that you're in observer mode? Or could you be in observer mode for an hour? I guess it depends what you mean by observer mode. Where the, the Joyce character is doing her thing and that there's a capacity that's watching what is happening. Like, it's not all about me. There's a watching. I guess I'm impartial. Not completely in or out, because I'll be watching me and something, you know, my past boyfriend will come up and I'll see myself going there, like, why am I going there? I gotta come, you know, that's not helpful. And so I'll, but it's not like I'm in lava land and everything's fine. I'll be grabbing, you know, worried about my kid and then I'll see that that makes no sense and they're okay and it's not, it's not my control, you know, all that stuff. Okay. So I go back and forth, I guess that's the... Okay, okay. You catch stuff and you pull back. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm doing that, that's my whole life is doing that. Okay. Sometimes more catching and less going off. But. Okay. Uh, does... Okay, this might sound a funny question, but if you can answer, if you can just answer as honestly as you can. Do you have above average intelligence? 
Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. Does your mind need to be doing something? It's training. Yeah. It's got its yeah. fulfillment of its ego by doing something all the time. So I'm a very good multitasker. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for, for people with, with, um, with, with high intelligence, the mind is well when it's doing something and it's almost like you know what just give it something to do so that it's doing something and being healthy do you know so that the brain can work and that the mind is being fed and stimulated and stuff but it's like it's like feeding your pet cat you know it's like just taking care of that and then the spiritual work can can happen independently to it Sometimes stripping away from everything, it's, it's, it's a great system, but I'm not sure how much more of doing nothing is going to be advantageous to you. I'm not sure. Because it's, it's like your mind actually would, could be better used to be busy. It's the identification with the task is what the problem would be. I've got a trip to India in a week, a couple of weeks. That's fine. How long are you going But I can for? keep busy there. Oh, for sure. There's plenty going on there. Keeping alive. Yeah. How long are you going to go for? Oh, okay. You told me three years in the last retreat, but that's what you said. <laughs> and when was that? How uh, much of that the three bar, years ago? Uh, two years ago. It's two years ago. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. So if that was accurate, then there's but one I year don't left. Have a, I don't have a... I just have a one-way ticket. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fine. All right. Okay. Because, okay, it concurs a little bit, actually. Because my sense is that you're coming out of the isolation. Because it's like, hold on now, something has matured and the mind actually has yeah, more to do. I know, it's not the answer. No, it's not. You, yeah, you've discovered it's, yeah. it, it's not the answer. You've discovered it's not but the answer. But then part of me thinks maybe I should have done it a little longer. I, mean, I, I could drive myself crazy over everything, but... Yes. Maybe I left too soon, maybe I needed nine months, or maybe I... Yes. Then, then tidy that up. Then go out there again and do it until you absolutely know that that's done. I think uh, I know. You think you know? Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, that needs to be solid. That needs to be solid. It's like, is there something else in there that's not been exhausted or chewed up fully? And then continue to do it until it's done. And it will be done. There will be a phase of like, okay, disconnection from the world, very interesting, learned a lot. But the next phase, when, when India is done, when all of, you know, when, when you're finished this phase of, of uh, not engaging with life, engaging only with, with some kind of spiritual activity. The next phase would be really good to engage your mind in something, whether it is that, it doesn't matter, let it be anything, anything like at all. Work. work, a type of work. And if your mind is engaged with work, it would be really interesting to see how your connection is with work now. Because before, when we met first, there was no division between you and your work. You were the professional. You were the manager. There was just no way of like yanking a perspective out of that. It'd be very interesting to go back now and just seeing that well, work is just something that happens. That's a role that gets played. Mm. That would be a very interesting learning now. To allow some. <laughs> hmm? It's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's <laughs> trouble to get out of it. Yes, yeah, of it's, course, it's because it, there was so much attachment. No, it was all wrapped up with your identity. So it's yeah. not like, okay, well now identifying with somebody who, you know, who, who can hang out and be on Rome and somebody who hangs out in India indefinitely. But 
It's okay that these phases will end. They have to end. It's just a complete disconnection in order to come back in in a different way. Hmm. You see? But coming back in in a different way is the key. And if you go back in and it's the same way, come out again. But I put money on it that you won't go back into the world in the same way. Something has matured. You won't need it. You won't need the world to give you an identity, to give you status, to give you attention. Because you know you can survive without those feeders. You know what it's like to have nothing going on, to have no schedule, to have nothing to prove, nothing to say, nobody to connect with. You see? Which is a great freedom. It is. So if you were to bring that phenomenal freedom into the workplace, what would that look like? Hmm. How would it, you see? I don't know if I can do it, but... Ah, this is the test. Yeah. This is the test. If you can do it, you've been out long enough. If you can't do it, you haven't been out long enough. So you've got to gauge that yourself and stay out of the world until you feel like... And you might play with something, you know? You might just do a little bit of contract work. You might do something and say, whoa, the old stuff is cranking up. Okay, let's, let's just... This is just from my brain, actually. This is just to make sure that it's still working, <laughs> you know? And that I can still function in the world. Okay. So something functions in the world and I have no attachment to it. <coughs> I'm just doing a gig and that's it. And my identity is not cranked up with it in any way. So being in the world without attachment to it, aha. Do you see? Do you see where it's going? Yeah. Maybe we take a lunch break after this lady? Yeah, come on. <laughs> Suppose you see so much of, um, you know, examples of those who lived a spiritual life and some of it might be just gossip, but you hear of somebody who was, had a status of a saint and then they ended up abusing children or something horrifically dark. You know, you hear of things like that, or, or <laughs> I remember being in Thailand for a while, just, to, you know, just hanging out with a friend a few years ago, and, uh, and the monks coming down, you know, and you just see, and they're walking, begging for alms, coming down, the, coming down from the, the mountain monks, is it? I can't remember the, the, the correct name, but you would see them looking at the bikinis, you know, on the <laughs> like this and it's like oh please you know go into the world and do it demystify get rid of it you know so that you know I can take or leave that I can take or leave that that's actually about nothing that's just more of the same but what I've chosen is to go within and so when you when you've gone in enough it's like that's just flesh with a piece of fabric on it so what so what and it doesn't pull you see and that's that's great freedom to be able to participate in the world in a total clean and free way, you know? Again, we're on about that phenomenal freedom of, of allowing the body, preparing the body and the mind to engage in the world, but in no way 
to get caught up and imagine that it's you, that it can give you something, that it can in any way completely satisfy. It can't. It's like you have to reorganize your position in the world to see that this is as good as it gets. This, this is as good as it gets. Life isn't going to get any better. You, you can introduce more phenomenal freedom and not be obeying the rules in your head. You can do that much. So that, you know, that's, there's an unlimited flow with, with whatever feels, feels the, the purest thing for you to do in any moment. But it's not from your ideas of how you think the world should be. That's as good as it gets, that phenomenal freedom. So once that's organized, it's a really good preparatory system for going outside of all of it. And if you don't have that organized, something is going to get a bit twisted. Because once, once you see the truth, the view of the world and how it works can be distorted if you haven't completely matured in the world first. And it, it will pull you back in and something will be unhealthy in your position in the world. Something will be dysfunctional. So that spiritual maturation is hugely important. So while you're waiting for grace to call you home, you know, work on phenomenal freedom where the limitations of mind are not in charge. You know, drop doubts, drop conditioning, drop the controller. Let there be a free flow, not to be a doormat and to be serving everything who, who, that wants anything, but, but to come from that centred, still place and responding to what that inner movement is inside. That's very freeing. You've no investment then in what you do. You see? And it organizes your whole system to actually, okay, actually, the world, the world is fine now. Managing in the world is fine. Now, now, what's beyond all of that? Who, who am I really? You see? So it's worth getting the sequence right. For the sake of all of humanity, it's worth maturing in the world first. And there are lots of spiritual traditions that don't allow... Uh, that don't allow for spiritual evolution until that maturation has happened. You know, there are systems that say before a certain age you can't do it, or after, only after 12 years of living with a guru can you receive any spiritual knowledge about who you are. There's all kinds of ways, like in the traditional Indian culture that I came across, so mostly, you know, I suppose Hindu culture, that tradition of, of you know, you... You get, do your schooling, you have your profession, you move from there into rearing a family. Now you start your real spiritual inquiry, once you're a retired parent. You know, it doesn't allow for much freedom, but that's more perspective, because we can do what we want, pretty much, you know. But, but what's the, the maturity or the wisdom that's built into it is that a life has been lived, and the wisdom of living a life is already established by the time the door opens to seeing what's prior to all of it. And it makes a lot of sense. You know? It makes a lot of sense. I think it's in, is it in the Sufi religion, is it? Um, that, that, that it's very much advocated, clear everything, clear everything, heal everything. Do as much work as you can to be as clean as you can in preparation for seeing the truth. Because it festers, it festers in the personality if the truth is seen. Because something, you lose the motivation for healing, 
you lose <clears throat> you lose uh, the, the phenomenal understanding of the impact of your dysfunction in the world because you don't see suffering in the same way but yet it happens in the world so you see suffering does happen phenomenally if you kind of go into the world and you see through subject object of course there's horrendous suffering in the world of course there is phenomenally but you lose that perspective if there's a dysfunction within you you'd be saying ah but it's fine it just happens naturally it's like whoa it happened naturally from a piece of garbage that you didn't clear out is that okay you know the thing is to move through the world without leaving a footprint behind you you know without leaving any trace at all behind you so it's your responsibility to clean up your act there's plenty of time to see the truth grace will come knocking but try and organize things in the world first try and organize your mind your life as well as you can you know be as thorough as you can there you know and it it leads for a, it le- it leads to a more holistic complete and deeper awakening you know I'm really grateful to be here. Um, I'm interested in cleaning up my act. <laughs> um, I have had a long history of depression, uh-huh. and I've done a lot of work. I've changed my diet. Mm. I've come a long way, and I'm open for for what's to come. Mm-hmm. Are you on meds? Not anymore. Oh, I got off about a year ago. And it wasn't easy, it was a long, slow process, and went through a lot of up and downs, and I still get weepy sometimes. Things are good, things are bad, and I can get weepy. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm off of almost all. There's, there's one I take at night to help me sleep. Okay. And that's kind of my, my last frontier as far as meds go. Well done. Well done. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Kurt. Thanks. Yeah. One question. Do you love yourself? Yes, I believe I do. You believe you do? Mm-hmm. Do you know that you do? There's a part of me that knows I do, and then there's a part of me that questions everything. Huh. Tell me about the part that questions everything. Um, it's um, the part of me, there's, I, I guess I know that I can trick myself into believing things that aren't true. And so I question everything. You can trick yourself into believing things that aren't true. Tell me about that. Um, I guess it's those messages I grew up with that I believed were true, that now I know so much of what I was taught. Wasn't true, isn't true. Um, so, yeah, I guess I question everything. And when you find what feels true for you, do you drop it? Or do you keep revisiting and re-questioning something even though you felt it's true? Is there a loop that you run there? I think possibly I do run a loop at times. Mm. Because how do you know when something is true for you? Because it feels right. Okay. But you're saying that you don't always drop the questioning, even if it feels right? Or do you drop the questioning? 
as long as it's feeling right, then it's okay. So, and then sometimes something that felt right can move into not feeling right. Tell me about that. Um, It's hard for me to pinpoint a specific thing to, to use there. Okay. Does it give you a sense of uncertainty? When that happens, I, 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 what I'm trying to figure out is how much, how much of that loop destabilizes you. Like if, if you felt into something and it feels right, mm -hmm. and then it's, it doesn't feel right later on. Mm -hmm. It's like it's done a flip. Is that destabilizing in some way? Or is it just something, ah, yeah, it doesn't feel right now, ah, who cares? Can you be free around it? Or does it actually rock you a little bit? I still get rocked at times. Um, and sometimes I'm, it's easy to move through. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There, there's something not solid, and I'm not sure what it is. There's something just not solid, or in your own authority, or it's like came a bit of power, you know. It's like, how does that sit? Yeah, well, I related with all the inner child stuff that was brought up. I related with a lot of the things that have been brought up. So I wanted to be here talking with you and yeah. see, you know, yeah. what else there is yeah. to do, go. Or... So have you done some healing work? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is it? Um, have you done work that's kind of gone on for years, or do you go in with a specific? Okay, I need to crack this. I need to crack that. It's kind of been off and on and off and on. Okay. And I come up against things and we'll work on things and then let go and just kind of flow for a while and okay. then something else will come up and then work on that. All right, good. That's great. That's organic. That's kind of built into a lifestyle then, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so what is stopping you from claiming your power? I really don't know. have anything coming up. Yeah. I think there could be some old helplessness.
Yeah, there is. Whatever you can do to claim your power. Food that you eat with a spoon, eat with a fork instead. Instead, right? I mean, on every level that you can do. Take up something like fencing or something that's combative. Find your power. Find your power out there just where you're becoming visible and claiming a position of power. The antidote of the helplessness needs to kick in. Because you've done so much work and it's like so many things are in place, what's going on here? But there's something really mushy and I want to see a... You know, standing there with your staff. And it's like, come on, come on, why aren't you grabbing your staff and standing there? You know? And it's like... Like, come on, girl, come on. <laughs> Find that power. Find it. And, and it'll be a process because it'll be like, Ooh. you know, of course, of course. Yeah. But something is not aligned with, with actually the visibility that, that you need to allow yourself to have. The personality needs more visibility. You know? Yeah. And that won't bode well with, with, with the egoic pattern that's keeping the false eye alive. Because the false eye knows itself to be suppressed in some way, in any way. Any way will do, really. Just in some way dampened down. You know? And that's what's keeping the ego strong here, the identification. And obviously the, the, the knock-on effect is depression. Huh? So as far as getting into that strong place, fencing, what other what other activities would help me get into that strong place? Yeah. I don't know if you play sport, but it's something like tennis or squash that's competitive. Singles yeah, and some limited physical things too. So I'm, I have limited physical yeah. ability. Yeah. Also, yeah, and so, yeah, yeah um, and I remember how good it felt for me when I was taking Tai Chi and got into the punches and kicks, <laughs> and then my body rebelled. <laughs> this is the wiring, so, yeah, the wiring. So, yeah, yeah, I want to short circuit that. Yeah, you need to short circuit that. A kinesiologist might help just one session in terms of telling your body that it's okay to have power. And it's okay to be combative. If you can give your body a different message, that would be really useful. You know, just running that in. There, there's um, yeah, there's a very interesting exercise. If you stand facing north and you say a sentence like "I'm powerless." Your body will stay still if it, if it has no resonance. And if you believe it, your body will, whoa, it will move forward. Actually works. Your body will actually move. It's like, oh my God, you'll be tilting forward if it's like, yep, that's me. <laughs> Whereas otherwise it's like, I'm powerless, yeah, okay, what's on TV? <laughs> you know, it's like, and it's amazing. Your body will actually like, yeah, I'm yielding, I'm moving towards that belief. It's just, it's little kinesiology thing, but it's very useful for just checking out. It's like, okay, what beliefs are running here around my lack of power? 
But if, if you could go to somebody to, re, to, to just clear away those beliefs, that would be really useful. Because your body is enforcing it, as, te- as you've discovered yourself. You know? So in the meantime, I don't know, something like chess, where you have to attack. You know? My grandkids try to get me to play chess with them. Aha. Yeah, and, and feel okay about beating them, you know? Okay. Like, really. <laughs> Do you know? It's like, don't let them win all the time. It's actually, I need to just put them into a corner here. Come on. <laughs> Allow yourself to fight, you know? Join a chess club or anything that's, that's combative, that involves pushing yourself out there and being competitive mm. and giving the kicks, giving the punches. Yeah, it can just be an antidote to the helplessness. Because if that's the biggest thing that needs to happen, really, is that aligning with your own personal power. Because you've got a few systems there which kind of undermine you, and it's like it's kind of comfortable for you to undermine yourself. And it's like, hey, this has got to stop. Because the ego is getting fatter on this, of course. You know, the, the me story is, is, is enriched with this. So it won't, it won't uh, feed my ego to... Be combative and assertive and... You'll spot it a mile away. Okay. It's actually more important to do it because it can find your natural balance. And when you find your natural balance and you're okay with power and helplessness is of no interest to you because it's like, oh, what do I want to be helpless for? That's all. Being helpless is completely based on there being power someplace else. That's a very dualistic mode. When I'm helpless, it's because somebody else has power. You see? So in moving out of that, it's about claiming what power is right for you. If the ego goes to town on it, you'll turn into an abusive person. But you're so far from that. If you're, if you're playing the power for 100 years, you wouldn't be able to abuse power. <laughs> so I wouldn't worry about it. Okay? So, but, so exercising it, you'll actually find, oh my God, this actually feels all right. I, I feel kind of potent. That would be wonderful. That would be just wonderful. When, the, when, when that then comes into balance, it's about naturally being human, a balanced human being. And the ego doesn't, can't find as much juice there for itself. It can only find juice in the dysfunction. All right. Awesome. You see? I do. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Let's do lunch, huh? Let's do lunch. Let's do lunch.